Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Discourse. I am your host, Crypto Chad, and today I'm being joined by my roundtable of blockchain experts. Say good morning, fellas. Uh, good morning. Good morning, or GM even. Thank you. Thank you. How's everyone doing? I don't know. I feel a little bit more lively than usual, I guess. Me too. I guess we could be recording earlier in the day today. I don't want to like spoil it, but you know, we're in the morning time. You know, we haven't had the chance to let all of the various, you know, atrocities of the day sit on our spirits yet. So, you know, it's nice. I know. I don't know about you. I got up at 4 a.m. because that's the time I normally wake up now. And yeah, they, they've sat on me a little bit, but I'm still feeling very hopeful. You know, I'm feeling good, especially because, you know, we're getting together again. I mean, honestly, I have in the morning since early May, I suppose, maybe a little earlier than that. Um, I've taken it as a hobby to like read crypto news. And I don't know if it's just because like of an inherent lack of sympathy in my soul, but like the crypto market is such a fascinating market to me. And so every day when I wake up, you know, whether it's for like uh, John or at a more reasonable time, like nine, uh, I, you know, I take in the crypto news of the day. I've been like just completely obsessed with the crypto industry since it started collapsing uh, in early May. So I don't know if you guys have been like in tune to that whole thing. Yeah, there's been one particular thing that like caught my attention. There's uh, some guy basically has a business that's built around buying Bitcoin. Anyway, there's like a constant stream of YouTube channels that pop up that are just scamming people out of their Bitcoin <laughs> that are associated with it. It's like, and it gets like 25,000 live views. <laughs> there are so, so many scams in, well, that's actually not accurate. There are a lot of scammers in the crypto industry, but there are only actually so many scams in terms of like type of scam. Like the new one is that like, um, crypto scammers are like doing deep fake Elon Musk videos on YouTube to get people yeah. to like give them their passwords or like, you know, the classic every time someone posts something about crypto online, they like link you to Google text file that's going to steal all of your money out of your crypto wallet. You know, it, it's a it's like a grifter and scammers bonanza in that economy. I, I can't imagine. It's like an economy entirely made up of monorail men from that Simpsons episode. Yeah, and, and then the one it is is like the name's MicroStrategies or whatever, but that's it's not affiliated with that company. They just run his videos and then just say, "We'll double however much Bitcoin or Ether you send us." And apparently, every but the, all the comments and everything are turned off. But I ended up looking around on Twitter, and there are people that'll be like that are complaining about it not working. It's like, wow, okay, <laughs> classic scam. That like that scam goes at least in my mind all the way back to RuneScape. Like the RuneScape uh, double your gold scammers mm -hmm. who they just walk around, you know, the town square in RuneScape telling you that they would double your gold by like if you transfer this amount of money. Like, it's a very it's essentially a Nigerian prince scam in uh, some other form. Yeah, the fascinating part to me, I guess, just is that it's a like 25K, I'm sure inflated numbers, but like live stream that YouTube surely like at that numbers, they've got to see it and they just <laughs> they're so slow or non reactive to it. It's it's. It, a fascinating dynamic there as well but like the larger crypto scene is also full of much more elaborate and nuanced types of uh, scams as well yeah i mean we know we know crypt we know youtube isn't going to take down anything that gives them traffic as we've evidenced by the fact of white supremacy all over the channel so I'm, I'm i'm shocked but not shocked at that behavior from them 
I mean, it's also not just YouTube. Like I heard of one scam in the crypto industry or rather aimed at crypto people where it involved uh, sort of basically a scam site or people running a scam site, buying the Google ad space at the top when you search for the company and it linking them to like a fake site versus the real one and stealing, you know, their crypto that way. Or even when YouTube, I think there was another scam going around where like that, like Mr. Beast guy on YouTube. I don't know. <laughs> like I'm not really into YouTubers and like the YouTube space, but like he's everywhere. Uh, he's everywhere on YouTube all the time. I guess so he's like probably super popular on there uh like you always see these like weird ads or not you know always but occasionally you will see these weird ads that are supposedly linking you to one of his giveaways or one of his like weird charity events and it's in fact just like a fake thing that someone paid to have put under like a YouTube ad to steal people's money but like you can advertise anything on YouTube I was saying to John just before the uh the fucking uh recording started that like he was saying that the entire financial markets are collapsing but definitely on a downturn um except for real estate and i was like i don't know i think the real estate bubble is going to collapse soon because as i watch crypto videos every morning one constant thing is advertised to me as someone who i guess they assume is you know really into the crypto space and that's just like how to make passive income from buying up units or real estate and what i could always assume is like florida or something because the, the people who are selling it to me always look like they've been in the sun too much so like you know i assume it's like a florida or georgia type of real estate scam or texas maybe maybe and arizona maybe arizona a lot like a lot of places where they you know in the initial 2008 housing bubble built a bunch of really shitty uh you know suburban enclaves that no one wanted to live in still have big real estate enclaves being built out there that no one wants to live in so like you know a lot of people are looking for exit scams in real estate as well so the YouTube algorithm is one of those that knows its audience very well and is not shy about like offering them like scams. But yeah, no, if you watch any like if you watch any crypto stuff on YouTube, you're going to get a lot of uh, scam ads to, you know, John's point again earlier before we were recording about like economic markets being in downturn. Which is something we've been talking about, like kind of coming on the show for a long time. But it was Adair that said it today. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think really when the legitimate markets are in a downturn you can definitely see like scams become way more visible in these entire scam economy or like the entire scam economy that revolves around crypto becoming more uh visible as people pull their liquidity out of the already liquidity uh challenged crypto market um yeah the, i was just gonna say the crypto was basically in a line goes up mentality where there was just massive leveraging and everybody was promising huge gains or huge returns uh on like on everything on leveraged crypto and so once the line stops going up then it kind of it it exacerbates all of the issues within that kind of network of uh, leveraged uh, promises and so Luna was one of the big ones that went down and got the Fed's attention which has kind of been interesting to see uh, in the crypto stuff that I've been watching is how people are approaching the idea of the Fed's coming in and regulating there's essentially you know some people that uh, recognize it as uh, necessary and then others that are like that's the opposite of the whole point of this well here's thing. the thing about it though um, I don't so there's no amount of regulation is going to save the crypto market you have seen the crypto market for what it is, uh, and it's 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 finally collapsing. Like the reality was, it was just a bunch of fake money moving around uh, all the time, and the reality and part of the reason why I feel like 
it's one of those things that you have to recognize in this game from the jump is I am a mathematician and I've never heard somebody explain the blockchain in a way that makes any kind of actual sense. Like I've had friends that have tried to do it in technical ways and they use terms. I think that they, that they believe sound like math, but don't actually make sense in context. And so it just is a lot of bullshit. If nobody can explain to you what the thing is that you're investing in for real, you shouldn't be investing in it, right? Um, but even if, like, if the government comes in, like I know the U.S. is now trying to come in and say, we're going to regulate some stuff, but that's not anything more than the dying gasp of an empire trying to desperately to find a way to fund itself. Because if we actually look at kind of, this, kind of in, a, in the broader context of things, one, I feel like crypto was a sign of things to come. We saw crypto getting fucked with so severely throughout the pandemic just because uh, you know, regular people had access to the market for the first time and were bored. Uh, and so you saw people banding together and like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But the government coming in isn't actually going to do anything. It's not going to reinstill faith. It's not going to make it, you know, suddenly less of a scam. But what it's going to do is it's going to make it a safer scam for rich people. That's what all of the government regulation I've been seeing has been, ta- has been targeting. We're going to have it backed by X, Y, or Z. It's going to be backed by the dollar. We're going to have to have rules so people can't lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's what they're worried about. They're not worried about actually making this a thing. Right, but meanwhile, all the stable coins, all the things that are pegged to the dollar currently are just collapsed. They were the first to exactly. collapse because they had to they had to capitalize on their losses, and they just couldn't. They didn't have any fucking reserves. And that's and that part that's part of what I'm saying with is, is the government is coming in to make it look legitimate to small people, the people who are actually able to influence the crypto market as it is. Now, mind you, I'm not advocating for no regulation of crypto. In fact, I don't think crypto is something that we should be really be messing with. I don't think it's a worthwhile thing at all. And I say this as someone who's had crypto assets in the past, right? Like I've invested a tiny bit of my paycheck in the past into, you know, Bitcoin. I've had Dogecoin at one point. Just like, okay, what is this like? What am I seeing? What are the actual returns that I as a regular person am going to be getting off of this? And not as some, you know, person who's managing to get everybody to just give me all this money so I can buy Bitcoin in my name. And then, you know, when it's time to pay out, nobody's there. But these companies are going to continue to go under. The economy is going to continue to tank. And I think Brandon is right in the sense that I do think the housing bubble is going to at some point collapse. And based on the kind of things that we're seeing, just based on how poorly the market has been doing, how badly it's been hemorrhaging, I think it's, I think there's a very high potential. And John, you'll know better than I do on this is i just looking at the market and applying what I can see based on trends, you actually are trained in this shit. Um, I think it has significant potential to be a lot worse than 2008, particularly when the housing market crashes. Because in 2008, it was private, it was regular citizens who were losing their wealth, right? So it didn't upset the economy. That's why there was no massive incentive for uh, the Obama administration to do anything for regular people. It was regular people who were going to lose their life savings. The banks were going to be fine. Well, this time, it's not regular people who are going to be losing out. It's going to be these massive investment firms, it's going to, which includes banks. Because a lot of these investment firms are in bed with the big financial institutions. You know what I mean? 
And so I well, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you for one yeah. second though because you you got it you kind of got it right, but it, you, the one thing that you have to be clear on is the banks in 2008 were going to lose their shirt. Sure. They were sure. they were shorting they, they were doing shorts on the market and selling it back and forth to each other, and they were over leveraged themselves. So the banks were the ones that were actually in trouble. What the bailout did and what the bailout was purposely constructed to do was transfer all of that onto our backs. So yes, you're right. The 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 people were the ones that suffered. The people the ones that lose, lost their houses. But the reason why the people lost their houses, the reason why the people suffered was a direct policy choice right. in order to shift shift the bad assets to the Fed balance book and then also recapitalize the banks off of the money that was supposed to be going towards everyday homeowners to bail them out from bad loans. So, well, like, that's what I mean yes, in that... And, and that's but that's yeah. what's going to happen yeah, again. Exactly. Like, it, it's going to happen again. It can happen again. It's the thing that is the point that I'm making because there's there's not regular people in the housing market anymore. It's not. It's it's all it's 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 you know what is what uh, BlackRock. You know it's fucking. It's all of these massive investment firms who, in reality, you know, are 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 being funded or so caught up in like their transactions are so interwoven with the banks and so I, and, and, and you're right so what i mean I, let me clarify what i'm saying is the way i think the reason why i think it's going to be worse in 2008 is because it's, there is no ability for working class people to be the ones to take the brunt of this working class people are no longer right. have what? a share of the pie so once this housing bubble collapses that's the that's that, that's their last bet they're the a lot of these folks are banking on the fact a lot of these investment firms a lot of these people in the that are scamming in crypto that are trying to move into real estate because their mindset, I, I assume, is that they're feeling like, okay, well, hey, the stock market might fuck up, but guess what? People always need a place to live. But what they're miscalculating is it's too expensive for people to afford to live. And that's they, they, because of what they're doing, because they're driving up the housing market so much, because they are throwing billions of dollars into this and then raising rents by, you know, 100, 200, 300 percent in some places, they're going to, they're, they've created such a massive artificial bubble that in the next few years it has to burst it has to and i'm i'm genuinely scared of what that economic repercussions might be like but john you know a lot more than i do i'm just kind of going so, so what you're talking about is a greater fool right the the last greater fool was the one who was holding the bag which was the american people in 2008 and what you're and correct me if i'm wrong but basically what you're saying is the pool of available wealth to that that grouping of American people is so much smaller now than it yeah. was. I mean, 57% of black wealth was wiped out and never recovered. Um, white wealth itself in terms of the spread has diminished. It's been concentrated. And so what's going to have to happen in, in order to recapitalize the people who are investment? And you're right. BlackRock and others who are also heavily invested in all of these banks are the ones who are buying up with subsidiaries all of the housing and driving up the bubble and creating, like you said, the rental spikes, the pricing housing spikes, which are artificial. There is no basis in reality. Um, what is going to happen is they're going to recapitalize themselves on the backs of a smaller portion of the population that is wealthier so like we've been talking about in this show for a long time they're going to increase the precarity level in order to do so and they're going to take people who up until this point have been secure with america and secure within the american empire and they're going to make them precarious and that's what they did last time and they're doing it again this time and you know they also i think and i'm not saying they is in like a shadowy nebulous force I think a large portion of our political economy knows this, or at least the deciders of our political economy know this, which is why, you know, defund the police was so anathema to them. 
they know that like this bubble and what is happening is unsustainable. They know that the markets that they've created where, you know, since the 1970s, they turned larger and larger portions of our GDP over to fire. You know, it's unsustainable. And so they know at some point there has to be a reckoning with that. And when that reckoning comes, it's going to be, you know, everyone's living in these five people to a room bunk bed situations in these rental places that are super expensive with all of, uh, you know, task rabbit type jobs. Um, and that's not going to be sustainable for the population. So the only way to enforce that is with a, a stronger police force where they're paying the cops $200,000 a year to enforce that. And, you know, we've talked about that excessive extensively on here. Um, I, I think, it's not necessarily close, as close as you might imagine, Adair, only because, you know, the the jobs numbers we're seeing are good. The recession that they're talking about and that, you know, I really honestly think the Fed is trying to engineer isn't necessarily here yet, but it's coming. And if the Fed raises interest rates again this month, then I think they're go it's going to happen. If they back off and say, hey, look, look at our jobs numbers. We're doing good. Look at the fact that prices have come down over the th past three months to the point where we're no longer seeing, you know, the 70s style price wage uh, spiral, then they can pull it back from the brink. However, I don't think that there is a political will to do that. I think, you know, Brandon sees all of this and in his mush brain, he thinks it's 1976 and he's got people like Larry Summers advising him, telling him that it is 1976, it's the exact same thing, even though the data doesn't say so. And I think they're going to do it. And again, that's it. I'm like on the fence. Part of me thinks that, you know, Somebody is going to see reason and say, oh, no, hold up. And yet at the same time, we're talking about a, an era in which SCOTUS is about to rule this coming week that the states have every right to assign electors to people who were not the popular vote winner in their states. So, you know, right. it, it, Adair could be completely 100 percent correct and we could be going like within a couple of months or they could stave it off for right. another that cycle. You see, in order to have a wage price spiral, you have to raise <laughs> wages, and which have been Democrats going up. thinking ahead. Not raising wages yeah. for nobody. Well, they, they've been going up. They've been going up for market pressures since the pandemic. And that, that's not contestable. They have been going up in in way in hospitality alone. We've seen like an 8% rise since the beginning of the pandemic, which is unheard of over the course mm -hmm. of a few years. But the problem becomes that, you know, Powell has specifically said um, that's his name, right? Yeah. Fed Chairman Powell has specifically said that it's. You know, he has to raise the rates in order to get wages down and they have to create unemployment. Larry Summers has been calling for two years of 10 percent unemployment in order to get prices down because that's what's driving it is these wage increases that we've seen. And yet, you know, wage increases have slowed in the last three months, as have price increases. So we're not in that spiral. But the problem is, is that the people who are making the decisions, much like the Democratic Party, is still stuck in the past and acting as if the past is relevant when it's not. You know, we had a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic where we had supply chains We're all still, fucked the up pandemic across the world. worse now than it's ever been is the thing. Right. It is definitely yeah. worse now than it was this time last year. But, like, for example, like flights. Right. Flights have been massively canceled. And that's a combination factor of everybody on those flights who operates those flights is getting sick. But also, after the negotiated period that Sarah Nelson won for the, the pandemic on assistance to the airlines, remember that September mm -hmm. deadline that passed? They laid off a whole shit ton of people that they kept booking the same. 
So they've massively overbooked, and that's why like Bernie Sanders is like going to Pete Buttigieg and say, "Hey, hit him for fifty five thousand dollar fine every time they miss a flight." And Pete's like, "Well, you know, you can call the airline and get some money back right. if you, you know, they right. know what they're doing the same way that Biden administration knows that the gas prices were purposefully raised as a direct result of the oil companies scuttling refineries so as not to renew union contracts. Like they know all this, but they're not going to do anything of concrete." Re- uh, to anything concrete to change it the same way that they're not going to do anything concrete to change Roe. They're averse to using any power because that's who the party is. So, like, again, Adair could be right. Like, within a couple months, we could see this, but there's also people who have power who are outside of the Democrats' control, namely Powell, who have signaled that maybe they'll back off of this and not push us over the edge. But... Again, you also have people like Larry Summers, the entire Republican Party, the entire Democratic Party, who are trying to push us over the edge because of those unique in my lifetime wage rises that we've seen over this year. Yeah, you know, one thing that's all really interesting, and I'm glad we got to talk about that. Even not, I just said that and it sounds sarcastic. Before we get too far away from it, I did want to address something that Adair said, just because I find that people say it a lot, and I don't necessarily think it's true, not necessarily that it's Adair's fault, but he said that he's never had anyone explain the blockchain to him in a way that is, you know, easily comprehensible and satisfactory and frankly i think that that's just by design you know a lot of the crypto industry both in terms of technology and financial products get by on mystification and like this air of being incredibly complex when every blockchain technology at its core is the same and i think people are rather this is obfuscated from people because if you realize this you would think then why the fuck do do anyone does anyone want to put this much money into it and it's like every blockchain is just an immutable public ledger how it's programmed the efficiency like what whether it's proof of stake or proof of work those things are all irrelevant to what its inherent core you know value proposition theoretically is and that's that it's an immutable public ledger it's a place that you can store uh records and information what have you uh you know to varying degrees of success and have it be stored there theoretically forever um and that technology has existed since the 70s oh yeah you know obviously and the, the way it functions i mean the way it theoretically functions and accomplishes this task is by being like you know decentralized and having a a bunch of nodules or nodes or like verifiers or validators whatever you know keep the information on their servers like how p2p file sharing work you know when i hear like crypto and what they explain as their core value proposition all i think to myself is like shit i used kazaa back when (laughs) back in the day i was using limewire and morpheus so i don't really understand why this is like that becomes a problem so i understand i understand the idea yeah, it gets to the the issue. What nobody can explain is, 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 at least not in a satisfactory way, is the mechanism by which the the, the actual mechanism by which that happens. And I've had computer scientist friends who think they get it, who, who 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 don't because it doesn't. It 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 just in my mind it falls apart. I understand that it's encrypted. I understand that it, you're supposed that uh, each each new entry becomes the key for the previous entry. But it, it, none of that, there's, there's, there's been no, there's never, and because nobody's able to actually explain the technical aspect of it, the actual, here's what's happening from a technical perspective in a way that is satisfactory, even if under, even if not understandable, because the reality is the vast majority of us who are not software engineers aren't going to understand it. But I think any mathematician, any physicist, anybody who's done 
enough math to kind of be able to sit down and understand because that's what a lot of, you know, uh, these, these, these things end up being. Algorithms, people take classes on algorithms and drop it if there's a math major because it's just the kind of thing that math lends itself to immediately, right? It's something that helps you understand what's going on because you can kind of read through it in, a, in, in this kind of formulaic way. But if you can't explain that, what, what that, what's actually happening, what actually makes this in a technical sense so wondrous, it's not something that then should be trusted is how I approach crypto. Well, see, I think that that comes from, you know, and no, allow me to flatter you here for a second a day. I don't like, don't get too big of a head as I say this. I think that comes from, you know, you, somebody who has, let's be honest, a hard science background and who might be interested in the hard science of blockchain technology. If like some, you know, computer engineer who was really interested in it explained it to you, because maybe from like a very specific technical standpoint, it's like technologically or programming you know wise very complex or interesting and therefore it has value for that from i think you know even one step outside of that particular like experience and that sort of standpoint you don't necessarily need to know how the technology functions to let's say create an immutable um public blockchain or immutable public ledger because just the you know that definition of it creates in my head problems because there's no real need for an immutable public ledger and at the core i think that's why you know a lot of people find themselves working really hard to try to understand how it makes sense and just deciding that it you know it doesn't make sense or like they're not smart enough to, to understand it or that they must need to look into it a little bit more because you find yourself wondering okay but like like, is that really just it? Then why do people think that it's worth all this amount of money? And I think that's where you're right, Adair. Like the crypto industry as it exists right now cannot be saved and regulation can't save it because largely what people want to use it for is high risk speculation, right. whether they're willing to admit it or not. Like the value of cryptocurrency currently is that it's used for high you know high risk high leverage speculation it's a speculative asset it's not really a, a currency because you can't spend it on anything which is something that they do their best to hide from people and so i think where it finds you know where this faux complexity and this faux technological and financial complexity finds most of its purchase in our society is in people who first and foremost presume themselves to be very financially and technologically literate, but only have a really shallow understanding of those things, you know, Reddit libertarian bros. But also, I think there are a large number of people in our society who suffer from FOMO for having missed out on the first wave of the internet becoming really popular. You know, I think, you know, there are millennials and Gen Zers who feel like they were born too late to capitalize on that market. And then you have like some, you know, Gen Xers, people in their 50s, people in their late 40s who were around the first time the internet was coming about and they were just like dismissing it as being a stupid thing that was never going to take off. And then, you know, they missed their opportunity to invest in Amazon. They missed the opportunity to invest in Google. They missed the opportunity to invest in all of these things. And now they don't want to miss the boat this time. It's a bit of a millennial lottery ticket also. Like I've seen a yeah. lot of that kind of oh, yeah. mentality. Like, uh, you know, I'll drop five grand or however much is like they consider disposable or like worth the risk and they just drop it into the, these cryptos and then hoping maybe they'll hit it big or probably it's just gone anyway. 
I've heard it described as a MLM for tech bros, but I think really there are a lot of reasons why people claim to get involved or like suckered into crypto. But I think generally that market has exhausted its primary target base, which are those two people, people who are like internet libertarians who just find like the idea of a new technology and the idea that it can make them rich, very attractive. And then people who have like severe FOMO for missing out on the first wave of the internet. For me, I, you know, as somebody who barely understands most non-complex thing i just think to myself it's it's very weird that you would want to have a immutable public ledger it doesn't really perform any value and i think that that's probably you know why the market is shrinking now because people talk about blockchain technology like it's going to be this broadly applicable new technological innovation that is going to underpin the rest of the internet and so a lot of like the little ecosystems that exist out there that have their own little blockchains or blockchains built on top of blockchains are these little like faux internet like walled off communities where they have simulations of apps that only work using like these particular internet fun bucks and they're trying to prove to themselves that this is going to be a viable like broadly applicable technology for the rest of the internet to give whatever speculative asset that they have invested in on that particular blockchain extra worth where you know in reality blockchain technology is probably 20, 30, 40 years down the line, you know, not the inevitable next step of the internet that everybody is sort of pretending like it is who are invested, but just the narrowly applied use you know, a narrowly applied technology used by a handful of like, you know, banks or investment firms to like store their records or archive stuff, but certainly not like the underpinning of like every social media site, because why would you need it to be? I think what's confusing to people also is that like various like larger corporations are getting involved, right. you know, like uh, putting out NFTs related to games, actually like, touching the space in a way that gives it a credibility to, in people's minds. Like maybe this could be right. something when it's really just cash grabs from people, from organizations that are just exploiting thing. people's ignorance. And those same organizations have been going on no and, and doing investments on nothing right. but vibes since forever. I mean, you look how quickly they were, they were all jumping on the BLM train. And then as soon as the, the, uh, the uprising slowed down and the Democrats were like, no, we're going to give right, more money exactly. to the police. They all stopped. So that's exactly what's happening with crypto. It's it's for these corporations. It's an opportunity to be seen as hip and edgy. And and somebody in a C-suite is saying yep. those exact two words together to talk about the crypto investments they're doing. And the thing is, is like Brandon was saying, this technology mm -hmm. is old. It's not new. So the fact of the matter is, up until now, if we haven't had roughly 30 years, if not more, where we've had some very smart people looking at this thing and they haven't come up with any application, maybe that's while at the same time, billions of dollars have been being poured into the innovative tech sector, especially in places like San Francisco, then maybe that's because there really isn't anything beyond this speculative right, asset boost. Not to mention the kind of future of with an actual crypt, like where this their dream scenario actually works out is actually a nightmare where, you know, you're essentially, you know, straight trading uh, casino chips or Chucky or Chuck E. Cheese coins to find the place where your money, whatever the, this crypto asset can actually be utilized and basically moving from company to town to company to town, except the towns are digital. Yeah, I, mean, I and, can see how uh, global. I can see how having. Some kind of immutable ledger would work. I could see how this technology could be useful and say, uh, you know, if you're you have a 401k and you want, you know, a report, I feel like if you could having something like that to be able to look back on and be like, if you could generate it, take that data, generate it into a report that is easy to read for 
for somebody, yeah, I think that's a great way to keep banks from fucking around with your money because the reality of the situation is that's what they do is they fuck around and gamble with your 401k. They gamble with your savings account. Yeah, but you you already have a PDF, man. Like th- there are already stuff that you can do that And so like having that peek behind the door, there are some places that will just fuck with your shit and don't care. Like they will just like they just people there are ways to set it up to make shit look different than the way it it, it should, I feel like. And there's a lot of money spent in finance. Yeah, oh, yeah, Superman 3. In finance to make you keep your money there even if it's not doing well. Like, and that's- Well, going back to the 2008 bailout quickly, you know, part of the, what the banks got in trouble for, or in trouble for, was essentially selling their customers stuff they knew was bad. Like, that, right. <laughs> like- right, right. Like, I mean, there's so much nefarious shit that you could, and I'm not saying everywhere does this. I'm just saying that actually now having been able to work in finance take a look behind the curtain because they try to make this shit seem so fucking mystified mystifying and the reality is a lot of these reports that are getting put out for your um for your 401ks i feel like like i got mine right so i have a 401k Uh, i got a report from not even i have like shit in there i'm gonna like i've already put in i've already put a notice to this job i'm quitting next month so that's part of why i'm talking about like what i've been doing um but like they sent me a pdf for a, a performance report and they're like you're, we're thinking that, because like, they're like, your money is, is great. Look at how much money you're going to have when you retire. And I'm like, that's not actually true. If we follow current projections, I'm not going to be, the, my, the, the trust company that's, or the management company in this case, that's holding my 401k, that's trying to keep me to keep my 401k in there. They're not, they're not telling me the truth because they have a vested interest in keeping me from it. They're going to give me rosy projections no matter what the economy looks like. They're projecting my future salary to be, you know, they're like, oh, we're expecting you to get it. Like, in fine print at the bottom, it's like, this projection is based on a 2.2% raise every year. That's not happening. That's not happening. No, that's never happened. Right, and so that's what I'm saying. That's why I think having blockchain could be useful as a kind of way to help keep banks accountable. But as an asset, I don't think it's worthwhile for regular people to be investing in. But that's just me personally. That's why I don't invest in that with the little bit of money that I do have. Well, see, I think that's the interesting part. And I think it's the interesting fallacy about, you know, at the core of why some people say they adopt cryptocurrency or are attracted to like the crypto market. And at the core of it is that like, yeah, you know, banks do suck. Traditional financial institutions in America specifically are very predatory and are very um, corrupt. That's just goes without saying. And so the promise of being able to be your own banker seems like in the absence of a language, because it's been robbed from us, an absence of a language of accountability, a language of meaningful government regulation, cryptocurrency represents the ultimate, you know, individualistic approach to finance, which is like, okay, you can be your own banker, you can find your own store of value to hedge against inflation. And it's a way to look towards the individual to operate in a incredibly predatory market as opposed to instituting any real regulations into the banking the banking sector yeah an immutable blockchain maybe not public but an immutable ledger that like uh 
financial right. regulators, like financial regulators, like the FDIC or like the SEC could look into and keep tabs on to ensure that like, you know, crimes weren't being committed. Perhaps that would be useful, but that would be part of a regulatory scheme that, and this is at the core of the, you know, the cryptocurrency market ideology is not what they want. They don't want regulation. And so the solution to their problem of like traditional financial institutions and traditional banks to not be good hedges against inflation, to not be trustworthy, is to move into an even less trustworthy sector because they've been convinced that, and I think this is what makes for me like cryptocurrency so interesting. And I don't know, I don't normally hear people talking about it from like this kind of uh, sociological standpoint, how much it is a microcosm for like the rest of our economy in many ways. And this idea that Mm. like every time the crypto market fails or like all of these, like these shadow banks or hedge funds or feeder funds or OTC desks that operate within that market that are directly run by geniuses fails because they like got involved in some sort of ape scheme or something you know for me i just think this is just a case another case study in why our society should not be run by geared towards or fetishized like tech and finance bros because when left up to their own devices in this unregulated marketplace that people claim to think a like the technology is broadly applicable but that this unregulate this you know lack of regulation should be applied to other marketplaces and tech and finance bros should be allowed to run you know other industries besides just tech and finance and they probably shouldn't be allowed to do that either honestly you know that you should you can look at the crypto industry you can look at the crypto uh, technology and you can see that like over the past 13 14 years they've had an unregulated ecosystem that billions of dollars has been flo- have been flowing into and all they have produced is essentially like a series of casinos like a series of casinos yep. and a series of Ponzi schemes. And, you know, despite having a one, you know, a one plus trillion dollar market cap at some point, the moment anyone goes in and tries to take one real dollar out of any of these like house of cards, they all collapse, essentially. And that's it exactly, because that happened, that happened over the, uh, the the actual lockdown eras where we still kind of were told to stay at home occasionally, parts of the pandemic. When Doge uh, shot up so much, Somebody had invested $8,000 in it, I think, like, a few months prior to that. Then it shot up. They ended up worth over a billion. And the SEC had to step in and be like, yeah, you can't take any of your money out. Because had they done that, it would have crashed the entire coin ecosystem. Yeah, at the core of the— Even when you get to be wealthy off of it, you can't do anything with that wealth because it's so volatile. And if you take it out, you you fucked the market. Yeah, I mean, we can— transfer off topics after this but like yeah at the core of the current crypto collapse is the same problem that is at the core of cryptos that they just have a severe liquidity shortage which is the core problem with the economy yeah exactly and you know it's magnified in the crypto industry because of the lack of any kinds of safeguards and regulations by the government but people and i think this needs to be highlighted a lot of people want the rest of the economy to work like crypto and when like and they were pointing to crypto and like quote unquote the innovation and by innovation they mean the amount of money that was being put on people's theoretical asset books as a result of crypto were booming they were saying shit the rest of the economy should work that way you know you should be able to buy growth groceries on the blockchain, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, I think, you know, this is the kind of thing that needs to hang around the neck of the, you know, libertarians and pseudo libertarians and neoliberals out there who are in charge of like 
our economy. This is what they ultimately want for everybody. They want every, they want the education system to work like crypto. They want you to be responsible for your own child's education and going into a school and determining whether this school is like the actual school that teaches the real things based just on your senses. You know, they want you to be forced to do your own research about whether this particular type of ice cream is going to give you listeria every time you go into the like store to buy it. This is the kind of thing that like, you know, people have been convinced is good because they've been sh they've been shown regulation doesn't work and they don't realize that it's because people have gone out of the way to make sure that regulation can't work only to justify deregulation and then like when they have deregulation they're you know like they're left with crypto essentially they're, they're, left, they're with, left with they're crypto an they're left with pg&e fires in california they're left with texas power out due to a frost they're left with social security being privatized under brandon you know it, it's the the entire thing all of it because of the fact of like you said there is no liquidity you know like we, we've we've basically been slow walking through crisis after crisis after crisis never fixing any of them and now the entire american economy is a big fucking vibe scam and so you know that's what they want they want everyone else to be responsible for that one in reality it's the people who have been moving shaking and using the levers of power to make everything exactly that who are to blame but we can't walk it back now because if we do the entire empire crumbles <laughs> which is you know a pretty precarious position to put yourself into and that's exactly what they've done yet they still uh, claim legitimacy and they still hold on to that legitimacy despite the fact that everything that they were supposed to be fighting against has basically come to pass and that's i think the good segue into row oh no i mean every time you say brandon i think you're referring to me and i realize that i'm not brandon anymore i'm crypto chad all the same crypto chad <laughs> you're the good brandon should we call him dark brandon no i i didn't think that'd be really confusing if the black brandon was light brandon and the white brandon was dark brandon <laughs> just like from a practical standpoint i think people would get confused but yeah sure we can call him like white brandon i can be black brandon uh, you works. know bb for short b squared as the kids would say i don't know if that's like a you know i know k squared is like a weed uh synthetic weed but uh no yeah we should touch on the roe v wade thing i mean i i don't want it to be awkward because we're a podcast of all guys i mean it's disgusting obviously that we live in uh how don't you call it a real a religious theocracy yep uh, where nine unelected Supreme Court justices are allowed to overturn. I, I don't want to say Lord of the Land because essentially it was just another another decision yeah, that they made previously. Re but, with judicial review, they are allowed to overturn the law of the land. I mean, yeah, obviously we've we've allowed for judicial supremacy in this country. Honestly, as a way for both parties to avoid having to legislate beyond a certain point. Uh, you know, that a lot of stuff gets kicked down or up to the Supreme Court. And, you know, despite all of that, there has been really no strategy by the Democrats to either secure the Supreme Court, which is what they claim at the core of their electoral strategy, or rather why you should vote for them, or to codify Roe once they have gotten any majority in the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court, et cetera. So, you know, it's it's hard to say where we stand, I suppose, but... Well, we, we stand at a point where they're rolling back not only rights of women and body autonomy, but they're also rolling back the ability of the executive to, uh, to do anything like they did with the SEC and the EPA. And they're about to make it so that, you know, elections can be overturned against the will of the people by legislations that are gerrymandered in place and that gerrymandering is fine. You know, like all of these things show you that 
it's minority rule it's overt fascism and that's been the plan and the fact of the matter is like the the judicial apparatus on the republican side is and the is tied hand in hand with the economic apparatus that has been giving them justification for doing all of these things going back to the advent of you know Bretton Woods pact when all of a sudden you had all of these fascist oligarchs post-world war ii who were like nope we're going to change the order of things because we don't like this and they've been working to fund that i mean papa coke has been heavily involved in all of this before the coke brothers took over it's it's literally a straight line from their ideologies wedded with the christian right the evangelicals in the united states because that's where the power base lays to the position that we're at now where women are going to be second-class citizens um gays are going to be non-citizens and going to be well, will versus way the people men too. yeah, yeah are people you're right yeah. my bad people are going to be second-class citizens Th- this is this is something that they've been working towards for a very, very long period of time. They've said they've been working towards it for a very long period of time. Their money has gone towards working towards it for a very long period of time. And it's been a, a project that the Democrats just have never had any answer for because they've not really been concerned with it. They've been concerned well, with making their own Joe money. Biden was literally befriending and alongside a lot of the people that have been doing this yeah. for yeah, 40 years. Joe Biden worked towards this. Like this was what this was his yep. goal for many years. He's, that he's like been vocally against one of the uniquely frustrating right. aspects about all this is like biden isn't you know just a a a, a empty a blank political figure that just happens to be he's like no he was actually instrumental in a lot of the problems that we're facing today like like yeah and pelosi so, too they're right. catholics you know it's a thing they're still she's still supporting anti-choice democrats in texas i mean they you know tim kane comes out as another example of the democrats democrats trying to you know gesture towards a middle ground to between you know women having the right to have autonomy over their bodies and you know them not having the right to have autonomy over their bodies but clearly it's a line in the sand that just has to be drawn and not crossed um from my perspective i think you know John is right to point out that this has been a project that they've been engaging in for decades. Basically, since Roe v. Wade was uh, decided on, they've been rolling it back piecemeal, you know, state by state, city by city, passing laws that make, you know, that practically and functionally make it make abortions illegal in their state whether it's by like reducing the viable number of weeks before a fetus is declared to be literally allowed to work you know in the mines in america or in in the oil fields of texas or if it's just you know doing things like saying that every uh, clinic that has to provide abortions has to have eight foot ceilings or 12 foot ceilings or whatever after you go always around to every Exactly. After you go around to each of them and measure the ceiling height and you then decide it has to be one foot higher, basically, based on what they all currently are, functionally forcing them out of, you know, out of um, uh, service. The 
piecemeal access to abortion or access to women's health care services in America is just another part of that story about our piecemeal rights that exist in this country and how it's not really functional. Because I think a lot of people were taken by surprise by the fact that the far right was able to roll back Roe v. Wade, even though they've been working at multiple levels for it for decades. Because at the end of the day, it's something that like it's something that the far right and like the Republicans fundraise in order to accomplish. And it's something that the Democrats fundraise off of having not done. And so if you put those two things in opposition to each other, obviously the people who are spending money to do it are going to overcome people who are literally just pointing out that that's what they're doing in order to raise money are going to win. But it speaks to just the larger pattern of this idea that Democrats are there to provide some sort of centrist homeostasis for society that is generally pretty okay and functioning pretty well. But you know, just is at a just being torn between a, a radical far left and a radical far right, and they just have to be the more responsible steward of society. When in reality, they're the ones who are selling you the most radical and, and impractical position that like we can just like you know stay. hang over yeah that we can stay here that we can stay on the edge of this cliff that is over a pit of fascism and not make any inroads by passing any meaningful legislation to submit people's rights or to admit you know civil rights or to expand the social security state in any way and that we can just stay here forever and we'll never significantly lose any rights and no one will ever have any problems that are significant enough to justify taking any steps forward but that's just not possible right right as you can see by their positions i mean to the democratic party now is to the right of reagan in 1980 like this you, you they keep moving the goalposts and saying like oh no no we're staying still but they're staying still is actually to the right of where their position started out on so many issues and the fact of the matter is medicare for all has been in their their platform whether or not they work for it is another thing but it's been in a platform until bernie sanders said oh no i'm going to actually work for it and then they jettisoned it like that would have been unthinkable to the democrats of the 1970s that was something that they legitimately talked about now it's like nope can't have that and, and so the fact of the matter is this the homeostasis that they're talking about is even false to them and they know it because they made a deal to say, hey, look, we're going to move to the right on a whole bunch of things in order to take all this money. They made themselves fabulously fucking wealthy, like Brinks trucks full of money dropping into Scrooge McDuck piles that they're all swimming in. And you can see it. It's completely and plainly visible to absolutely everyone. And yet they're talking about this myth of status as if that is the thing that they're selling anymore, when it's clearly not even something that the people who are buying what they're selling believe in. Well, that's just been well, like the central. Oh, go ahead. Well, here's the thing about that, though, is I don't think we as a show uh, actually tend to realize how deeply entrenched a lot of these liberals are. A lot of these liberals are actually buying it. Like a lot. Of, and I say this from still keeping in touch with these people from like still just occasionally like I'll pop into like a Zoom meeting and just kind of listen in and just observe what's going on at these Democratic meetings. And listen to these hardcore dyed-in-the-wool liberals, and they genuinely believe that the, if you just voted hard enough, that Democrats oh, would do something. Oh, yeah. Because no, no amount of evidence is ever going to change any of this. And the reality of the situation is they don't want to see it, right? And we the, the Democratic Party took the rightward shift when they, when they chose uh, Bill Clinton in that 92 election. When they chose Bill Clinton, that's when they started taking that hard right pivot. And that hard right pivot came because Newt Gingrich 
in the in the 80s was just like we beat the democrats by saying that they're that basically he said we beat them because we said they're pussies that's really like it is is what he was saying that was republicans messaging in the 80s in the early 90s saying democrats are pushovers they don't care about anything they're not tough on crime and so the, the democrats got just slammed in uh what in one of the congressional elections and then after that they were just like nope got to go hard yep. right got to pick the most the furthest right Democrat we can. And that's why they settled on Bill Clinton. They picked him because he was from the South. They picked him because he was closer to a Republican than a Democrat, which is why he was voted to be governor of Arkansas. Right. He launched, he like launched his career. He launched his presidential run from Stone Mountain Prison. And that's also, you but, know, right, go ahead. It just, so we, we see these things happen. So I, I, I'm, and I, I personally am furious because, like, the reality of this ruling and the reality that's not being talked about by the vast majority of people when Roe v. Wade comes up because for so long we hear it's the reproductive rights of women. But I'm sitting here and thinking about, okay, well, trans men are fucked. I'm sitting here thinking that non-binary people are fucked. I'm sitting here thinking about the ramifications that this is going to have on indigenous people, that this is going to have on black people, that this is going to have on homeless people. The fact that the reality of, the, of, this, of this decision is it's so overarching. And the Democrats' only response to this is to say, if you're AOC, put a, put a Planned Parenthood on, uh, in a national park. Okay, he, he said, no, I'm going to go get my nails done. Because getting my nails done is an act of resistance, and this is something that she's actually put on. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram. She live streamed it. It's fucking disgusting. That's who your progressive liberal heroes are. Congratulations uh, if you've been yelling at us ever about AOC being shit. She's also trash. Fuck her too. Um, And then you've got other ones. You know, again, like like we've mentioned before, you have Pelosi, you have Clyburn going in the uh, in in campaigning for that uh, Jewelry, Texas, in fucking San Antonio. Yeah, one of the things in, I in fucking San Antonio going over there and be like, oh, it's so great, it's so and like the reality is they're not going to do anything. They were never going yep. to do anything. And as soon as that decision came down, the the first thing that I thought was, thank God, slavery was changed to the end of slavery was put into an amendment because that's much harder to change. Yep. And, and the thing is, Adair, right. the the one thing I will push back on is that I'm not necessarily sure that it was a it was Clinton because Carter also took a hard right turn before Clinton in order to push in neoliberalism. And then on top of that, Truman versus Wallace, like the fact of the matter is when FDR was dying, they threw in Truman and then FDR's compromised with the New Deal. Like, I think the Democrats have always been this millstone around the working class's neck, as I, I heard. I think they, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm saying we I say they what I'm saying is they took a hard yeah. right position. So that 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 Democratic Party of the 1970s and 80s who would have voted for Medicare for all took that hard right position in the 92 yep. election when they took. Yeah, absolutely. When they took those, that's when they decided to become Republican. It's a full embrace of the, the third way. Republican Party won. It's a full embrace of the third way. And just which, when you were talking which about was, one of, wait, one wait, of the, which okay. was funded with Koch brother money and Koch staffers at the DLC. Go on. Oh, yeah. I was just uh, what Adair was mentioning just reminded me of parallels and that it feels like in many ways that right now uh, the country is going through the like uh, the awareness phase or whatever where people are posting these horror stories of uh, all uh, various people it's not just women you know as Darren mentioned a lot of people and disabled folks that are just having ac- like struggling to get access to various medications that are uh, some tan- some way tangentially related to these bills that are going on in various states and that like Adair mentioned that nothing's going to happen and I feel like that's a, 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 sh- a shock and awakening for a lot of people that they're going to see all these horror stories of these horrific things happening and then they're not going to see the stories about how they get resolved in positive ways or how they won't happen again or how, how they're going to be prevented in the future and 
the response that they've gotten from the Democrats, as Dara mentioned some of them, but then also like politically, is just that, you know, we're going to win a couple more Senate seats and then we'll, we'll pass it. And as John pointed out before, that's probably not even the case in that case, if that were the case. But also the 538 recently put out their predictions and essentially Republicans are overwhelming favorites to be taking the House. So the Republican House isn't going to be passing this uh, some sort of national codification or protection of Roe v. Wade or of abortion rights or anything like that. So what Democrats actually have available to them and basically almost none of them are saying is they can attach it to some must-pass legislation. Like, we're not going to fund the military unless women or unless people, potentially pregnant people, have access to abortion. You know, like, No more money for Ukraine. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, that's 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 what they can do. That and if they're not going to do it, and so it, uh, the abortion rights and women and health rights and all these other rights that are on the uh, cutting block for the Supreme Court are are going to go away. Yep. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, and the thing is, is like you said, you know, they're they're talking about how they just need two more Senate seats. Not even that is true because Feinstein has said that she's not for carving out the filibuster in order to do, codify Roe v. Wade. She came out and said that. So that means it's three. And as we know from the previous. Um, the Build Back Better legislation, where we had reporting about so many Democrats were lining up behind Manchin and Cinema and thanking them for standing in the way of it because they didn't want to vote for it. Like, it's not just the couple of Democrats. There's more Tim Kaines than people know about. There's more Pelosi's. There's more of these fuckers than people know about because, once again, the Democrats are not what they are saying they are, and they never fucking have been. They're liars and they are cheaters and they have been only in this to make themselves fabulously wealthy. And the people that have gone in, like Adair pointed out about AOC, who have gone in to change it, have been completely ineffective because they've gone in thinking that they're good people, that they're working with good people. The only time I've ever seen anybody go in and effect change has been actually locally in Rhode Island where you have this entire party that's saying, this RI political co-op that's saying, no, every single Democrat in office is a piece of shit. We're replacing all of them. And that's it. Just to Richard and, you know, both Richard and John's point, like, and I think this highlights a lot of stuff that was there was saying, too, about Bill Clinton. You know, what I think makes Bill Clinton in the 90s, both in America and in the, you know, in Europe, you know, a unique instance, rather unique uh, era for neoliberal and neoliberal push is that's when, you know, if you have the Blairites in the UK and you have like the Clintons in the United States in terms of like this center leftist party try to do this little like sleight of hand where they replace making real sweeping material changes in people's lives through legislation like Medicare, like Social Security with like mastering this new economy of talking real well about shit. Like this new economy of like acknowledging problems and positioning themselves as like morally and intellectually superior. I feel your pain. I'm here. I'm listening. Convincing barefoot people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Yeah, they have convinced most valued supporters, like the people who you know, like Deborah Messing, who are now saying, what the fuck? Like, I, I need to vote again. They convinced those people that this symbolic mastery of language, this ability to talk real well about the plight of black people, about the rights of women, about the value of the LGBTQ community was a, was a suitable replacement for actually materially improving the lives of those people. Uh, because if nothing else, the other side, a.k.a. Republicans, were vocally and still are vocally against those things. And the reality is that the Democratic Party has not been actively working towards the material improvement of the people that it claims to be representing and it claims to be acting as the responsible uh, last safeguard and, of their never rights. Has. It, 
It never has. And instead, it's just been that party that has better mastered the language of 101 sociology to talk about what's wrong with the country. You know, I think Obama's a really good example of this, where like since he's become president, he talks about America. I mean, since he's stopped being president, he talks about America and its problems like he's just he's just been a professor at Harvard for the past. 20 years, you know, teaching sociology, and now he's wading into politics for the first time, like just an ability to identify problems that they have, or really talk about problems that they have a unique ability to solve. And I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that that's just not good enough, especially as they see that Republicans are willing to play the opposite game and pretend like they're losing. Democrats like have crafted this social economy and political economy of language where they're able to tell people that they're beating Republicans because they don't make as many gas or get before Joe Biden, but they don't make as many gas. They don't outwardly support or take thrill in supporting such like draconian policies like uh you know forcing women to carry like their their rapist baby they don't actively support those things they support them for practical reasons or, or they would say but you know that is supposed to show their voters that they're better than republicans and republicans are very willing to pretend like they're losing and you know because as part of their central strategy they love telling people that democrats are overreacting if they oh democrats are overreacting to what we're doing they're like we're not trying to overturn roe v wade we're just trying to make sure that science the science of you know fetuses which tells us that babies are babies from the moment you nut in your wife is you know we're just trying to make sure science is respected at the state level and then when this stuff happens republicans celebrate and democrats like wonder how it happened because you know they've been seeing abortion talk on television more now so how can it possibly have been being rolled back yep and so i think that you know democrats have set their like you know, their most ardent supporters, not their base of like leftists, but their most ardent supporters down a very difficult path where it becomes very difficult to understand when things like this happen, where they came from, because in their minds, the Democrats have been doing well to prevent this stuff because there was a black president. When you mention of uh, Clinton, just like I f- feel like I have to harp on it. It's like and Biden was right there next to him signing the welfare yep. reform, signing the crime bill act like or, you know, uh, voting for these things and like putting making exacerbating and reinforcing these problems and so we can't really be surprised when he continues to take that approach so it's been interesting to see like you mentioned the various uh, democrat supporters try and reconcile this idea that they have of democrats and what they represent and who they are and what they do and the reality of what joe biden and uh like what they actually voted for and what he was telling them he was going to do like work with republicans and and preserve the Republican Party and make sure it stays around and like and do those. Things. So like this is this is exactly what people who voted for Biden were voting for, particularly in the primary. Yeah, and we tried to tell them and we were shouted down by mainstream media, which was saying like, oh, no, Joe Biden didn't lie. Joe Biden's not a liar. It's like he had to suspend a presidential campaign for cribbing a, a labor leader's life story like th- he is known yeah. to lie. He got he got kicked out of. For right. Like th- this is a guy who's lied repeatedly. But yet. But like Adair said, whenever we try and Richard was pointing out, whenever anyone who was not uh, a haircut on television tried to say, well, this guy's a liar. You know, not only were the Democrats going, well, Jake Tapper tells me he's not a liar, but they were internalizing that. And now to confront the reality that like, oh, shit, he lies about all the good things and all of the other things that he wanted to do. Like he said, I think Roe went too far. And now all of a sudden he's not doing everything within the president's power, as reported by multiple outlets, to actually fight against this because he thinks Roe went too far and he's a completely feckless bullshitter. 
the Democrats have been pretending that they supported that stuff if anyone asks and presses them on it for practical reasons for the past like 30 years. You know, a lot of people don't care about it. They don't know about it. They haven't like asked about like the crime bill. But when they're pressed on it, they pretend that they support these things, not for like ideological reasons, not because they're being lobbied to and being supported by private prisons or like by any other special interests, but because there is a practical concern that they have that the Republican Party will sweep the country's election if they are too weak on crime, if they're too weak on the military, if they give too much money to poor black people. And not only has that proven itself to be untrue, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm going to back you up here and then you can finish. They're doing it right now with uh, trans rights with, you know, you had that that turf in the New York Times comparing the rolling back of Roe to use of inclusive language, to the creation of a Christo white nationalist fascist state, to telling people that you should say person of uh, people who can birth, you know, like that is not a comparison that you wake, but you're you're saying and signaling to these liberals and to the Democrats, the uh, Democratic leadership, that it's okay to exclude these people because we have to do it for practical reasons because the frothing at the mouth fascists are going want to kill them, and we went too far by using inclusive language. Now we have to exclude them from the benefits of society, much in the same way we excluded black people from the New Deal. I think centrist when they decide that they're going to engage in horseshoe theory and say such inflammatory and insane things like the far right like fascists are the same as like the communists that doesn't just you know diminish the value of communists in the or communism in the eyes of people it launders and normalizes fascism as just another ideology that people can just have and yeah maybe it's a little fringe but it's okay because like yeah there are some communists out there too who think trans people are deserve rights and so centrists have convinced themselves that they're not engaging in any work to support the far right when they do stuff like this but no far right demagogues are very willing to pretend as though they are the same as communists they're the same as socialists they're the same as any other ideology when people engage in horseshoe theory that's all they're pretending to ultimately it practically has not panned out for the Democrats that becoming more and more like the Republicans has meant that they've been able to better safeguard rights, that they've been better able to win elections. It has uh, resulted in, like John was saying, them being forced to, in air and scare quotes, forced to abandon large segments of the population in order to sort of better appeal to this like racist mass of voters who they just have to pull off instead. And it's not just that. The coalition that the Republican Party makes up the, a large portion of their legitimacy in terms of actual votes is made by the evangelicals. So it's not necessarily that the money, you have people who have no evangelical tendencies themselves, like the Koch brothers, wedding this whole thing together through the use of evangelicals as a form of legitimacy. So, yeah, you know, the Kochs really probably don't care about this, but this is a pay on that they can give to them to make sure that the Supreme Court then goes in and says state electors can determine where they go rather than by the legislation of the state rather than the, the voters, which means, oh, OK, we're going to do away with the EPA completely in our state based not on popular vote, but based on where we attribute and apportion our voters uh, through gerrymandered districts. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I didn't want to I don't want to do a hard pivot, but we are coming up on I had a great pivot just because I've been noticing with liberals. Right. And just just because of the whole pandemic, thing, just like this whole we've had this huge push, especially from liberals about this anti-Asian hate. But I've noticed since the uh, since the Roe decision, 
a lot of these, like a lot of these, and primarily white liberals, again, are sharing a political cartoon that's mocking Tiananmen Square with a woman standing in front of tanks with the Supreme Court justices' heads popping out of them. And it's just like, wow. Like, Amer- it, it, it just, it's, it's that evergreen tweet of Americans doing something Americanly in America. You know, what are we, a bunch of fucking right. Asians? Like, like you know? But then they, on the same hand, go in there sitting here and mourning Shinzo Abe like he was somebody who was worth yep. a damn. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the- that's good. That's a good pivot. That's a good translation in there. Yeah, I've been getting I've been getting furious about that. You know, I've been putting into the mentions. I've seen Democrats like even my former state senator who endorsed uh, Bernie Sanders against the rest of the party here um, putting up like peons to, to Abe and saying, oh, it's a shame. It's a portrait of a horrible thing. And you you just have to be like, do you motherfuckers not know anything about history? Do you not know who this guy was? Not a goddamn thing like unit seven japanese people don't like right. this nigga like japanese americans don't like yeah. this nigga. unit 731 was responsible for a higher death rate in the work camps that they were orchestrating in korea and in china than what the nazis were doing like they they took women and they brought them to ships to other fronts where the soldiers could repeatedly rape them because they thought the comfort women were necessary for the war. And Shinzo Abe said that didn't happen. They were all volunteers. Especially relevant, though, about like the Americans seeing things happen in America and thinking that like this must be indicative of another country's mentality. The thing about it is like most Americans, history aside, like most Americans don't know much about the rest of the world most americans don't know much about american history or as it is positioned in the rest of the world most americans don't know much about america in the current world and its position or it's like how other countries view america most people just go around thinking america is the most beautiful richest freest country the best country in the world and that and that's why whenever all of the bad things happen here that only happen here people have to just sort of like come up with these various myths to explain how these things can still happen here and america can still be the best country in the world even though they only happen here (laughs) and no (laughs) other country has these problems and people do this a a variety of ways some people have started to adopt the like well you know i wouldn't say america is the the best country in the world but it's it's unique um and it's the most redeemable and it has the most like um the most amenities and so therefore and i live here so therefore like it's special it's special to me exactly Um, it's special like which by special they mean like they mean best (laughs) they like they mean best um and (laughs) anything like me they were indoctrinated as children singing patriotic songs and shit like again like whether you wanted to or not same See, that could just made me We were forced to sing kid. Don McLean's American Pie every day <laughs> in homeroom. The, the full 40 all, minutes. <laughs> all the Zack Snyder cut of Don McLean's American Pie, all three and a half hours of it, we were forced to sing in homeroom. Um, um, but I want, I want to get back you know, to Shinzo like, Abe if we could. Yeah, go, no, because, go ahead. I, I, only I'm going to say about Shinzo Abe is that I, it reminded me of that because now people along with that are going like with like America was having our gun violence conversation. And because Shinzo Abe was killed with a homemade firearm, people are therefore just like when there was like that mass shooting in Copenhagen last week starting to like, you know, go like, well, you, you see, America isn't the only place that has a gun problem. Two other countries have had gun violence in the past month, which is like nowhere near the amount that America has had. But like people will look at those 
anomalous events in those countries and not see how radically those countries react to them because they're anomalous and because they have right. like laws there but they'll just say like okay you see we knew that america was the same as other places other places have this problem too quickly to that last point uh, it's just like one of the reports that i heard that caught my attention was that they had 90 police officers investigating the assassins and it was just like he did it in broad daylight and admitted it right yep. away and they got and, 90 yeah. people said why he was tackled he was tackled right after it happened and I told, here's the interesting thing about it right like here like for me i find it interesting because i think it kind of it, it it lays i think this happening kind of lays bare who the democratic party is because i don't think a lot of americans actually understand kind of what the fuck shinzo abe was about so first of all this nigga was in a cult like this nigga was in a cult like his daddy was in a cult where they still worshiped the emperor of japan as a god and thought like ending world war ii was a bad idea he was militaristic wanted to change the post-war constitution remilitarize japan and have like a standing army and basically rewrite it also wanted to rewrite literally rewrite its history textbooks and say that it didn't do any imperialization that it was a always a great happy country and korea and china always welcomed them and they never did anything bad because japan is great that's literally what he wanted to do that's who shinzo abe is in addition to that along with modi in india and whatever current president is in the uh, occupying the southern half of Korea um, and the United States came up with basically what it, oh in Australia is uh, the Pacific NATO essentially is what they're starting because he wanted to combat China's growing influence. That was his that was one of his major political priorities. The people that are mourning Shinzo Abe today, Modi, Trump. Boris Johnson and every fucking Democrat ever. Like, I feel like this should tell you kind of who your party is kicking it with. You know what I mean? When people like that are mourning somebody like this, when people are celebrating that somebody is dead, when like actual people like in like Weibo and nuts in China, there were a bunch of people in Korea who were excited about this. Like people were very, like were incredibly happy that this dude died. Like, maybe take a step back and think, hmm, I should read it on some shit. And if you haven't done the reading, please read about Unit 730. And, and also, in it. addition to that, Shinjo Abe's grandfather, who was in Unit 731 and was running yep. it, he went to jail at the end of World War II for a Class A felony. He was shortly let out because the CIA went over and pressured for him to be let go, where they got him together with a bunch of other fascists from Imperial Japan, the Yakuza, and a bunch of CIA plants to start the LDP, the Liberal Democratic Party, which then went on to be associated with basically what was amounts to Japan's years of lead for another Japan version of Gladio. And that is who Shinzo Abe is carrying out the legacy of when he says he wants to start a new NATO to contain China because his granddaddy was put in power by the CIA to stop the Japanese people who largely saw the Soviets as not that bad from trying to go communist. And that was what he did. And that's exactly what they did. Speaking of which, by the way, Japan, Japan still has one of the largest communist parties in the world. That, and it's one of the lar non-ruling parties yep. in the world. It is. It makes up a sizable portion of the Japanese Congress, but the Liberal Democratic Party has been entrenched in part because of massive support from the United States political apparatus, 
helping to keep them in power. Things, and know. cheating in and elections. So there are things like, yeah. And so you end up seeing, like, people, especially Americans, end up with this really fetishized view of Japan, but don't realize that gay marriage is not recognized in that country, that if a trans person wants to get married, they have to uh, undergo, I believe, at their own expense, uh, Sex, uh, sex reassignment surgery. Though uh, healthcare in Japan is a lot better, it's still an arduous process, really hard to get into, really hard to deal with. Like, they don't acknowledge any of the actual issues with Japan, and we're seeing that reflected in our, in, in, in our, in our leadership. We're seeing our democratic officials ignore all the real, actual, hey, we would call these human rights violations if we said this was happening literally in any country we don't like. You know what I mean? But we're going to no, – if you mention that here, nobody's even heard of it because it's Japan, because it's a Western – because it's a United – it's a vassal state to the U.S. And because Shinzo Abe did such a good job for the U.S. He, you know, he did everything that the U.S. wanted. And so at some point, I wonder what's going to – like when people are going to actually wake up. Like I have – I am – Democratic Demo, – members of the Democratic Party are talking about rest in power. Fuck No. Shinzo Abe can rest yep. and, and on top of that, like the, the, the guy who shot him said that it, the reason why he did was because it was Shinzo Abe's cult that defrauded his mother and ruined their family's wealth. And so he shot him because he said the, he was associated with the cult. The press and everybody else is now running around and trying to say that it was the communists, just like they did in Jakarta, yep. just like they did in Japan numerous times, just like they do anywhere else, which is a U.S. vassal state, because U.S. is the center of fascism in the world. Yep. The U.S. is, like, it's, we are doing some, like, as a country, doing some incredibly Bolsonaro in Brazil. the world over. Right? Like... Anyway, so... <laughs> Adair... <laughs> He did make it on, on a side note, though. He did make a really dope uh, second yeah. gun, and it's interesting to look. It is it is a Fallout looking at gun, like not that I'm. Let's just edit this part. <laughs> no, out no, no I, it's, it's a dope looking gun. I mean, I agree. <laughs> okay, like I'm just like I think the, the gun looks cool. As and fuck. now that the Supreme Court, like, Amer Americans can, Americans can never, Americans can never. That's why we have to buy our guns. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. This <laughs> the thing, with the Supreme Court doing away with with the New York being able to regulate concealed carry or any type of Second Amendment uh, restrictions, I'm getting myself a minigun from Fallout. Just saying. Americans are like, oh, you see, there's no reason to ban guns in America because, like, this Japanese guy put together a fake gun in his garage using, like, a bunch of tubes and chemistry. I was like, okay, well, Americans are not going to be able to yep. do that. Um, <laughs> right. I'm willing to take my chances. Americans kill themselves doing gender reveal parties. They're not going right. to be making homemade... Like, Plus, this, this is only on average making. This is only the second guy to die of Shinzo Abe is the second guy to die of gun violence in Japan all year. <laughs> we going on for a while, uh, you know. I think the first episode of our crypto influencer show was pretty good yeah, this time. You know, next time I want to <laughs> stick more to just the crypto, uh, a little bit less about you know women's rights or far right <laughs> nationalism. <laughs> Secret programs of assassination. Yeah, a little, little less about like Nazi indoctrination programs, a little bit more about <laughs> uh, decentralized financial instruments to hedge against inflation. Well, see, now you put me in a bind because we can't, you know, on one hand, you're telling them we can't talk about Ukraine, but on the other, you're telling them we got to talk about Ukraine. I don't know, man. The crypto people were mad when Ukraine got their Bitcoin because they were going to spend it. Yeah. They wanted them to hollow it. They wanted, they, wanted them to, they wanted them to reinvest it in uh, into Anchor Protocol. NFTs. Right. Right. 
Jesus fuck. Spent all the war money on yep. apes, crypto cartoon <laughs> apes. That'll fight the Russians. That's that's what that's what that's what the eight billion dollars that Joe Biden, aka White Brandon, aka Dark Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> that's what all that money that the, that him and Boris Johnson gave to Zelensky is going towards. It's going towards purchasing NFTs. Also, congrats on Boris Johnson for finally oh, yeah. stepping down. Congrats on him for finally combing his hair. <laughs> <laughs> 